0: Topic out of Jeremiah tonight is from Jeremiah chapter 51, Babylon desolate and Israel not forsaken. And I think those pictures kind of tell the whole story, right? That is Babylon, what Babylon looks like today, the ancient city of Babylon, and this is what Jerusalem looks like uh, today. Uh, One has life and one doesn't, and uh, this is exactly what Jeremiah predicted in this chapter. Now, it's a long chapter, and we're going to start at the end and then work our way back to the beginning. Uh, in chapter 51, verse 59, the word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sharia when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. Okay, so Babylon has not conquered Jerusalem yet. Zedekiah, the last king of Israel, is the fourth year of his reign, and he's going for some reason to Babylon uh, to meet with the king there, or, or for whatever reason, and 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 he takes some of his aides with him and servants with him, including this, this Shariah, Shariah, and uh, Jeremiah gives this man a message to bring with him. Jeremiah, Jeremiah wrote all the evil that would come upon Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Shariah, when you arrive in babylon read all these words O lord you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain of it neither man nor beast but it shall be desolate forever and we just saw a picture of it desolate still to this day now this is interesting so he's sending jeremiah god has jeremiah send this message to this servant to bring it to babylon I believe he has it read to the, to the, to the, those that are captive there, the Jewish people that are captive there, maybe to the Babylonians as well. But this is one of the ways we see that the messages of Jeremiah made it to Babylon. And we know that it made it there because Daniel quotes Jeremiah and Daniel was in Babylon already by this time. And so, so God had Jeremiah use these various methods of getting the message into Babylon to the captives to encourage them and strengthen them. Another interesting thing already, and we're up here at verses 60, 61, 62. So there's a lot of verses. We're not going to cover them all tonight. Um, We're going to hit some of the highlights. Um, But here, Jeremiah is predicting the full destruction of Babylon, desolate forever. But we've seen in other chapters in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah was telling the people, uh, and especially the king, to surrender to Babylon. That Babylon was going to be used by God in humbling the nations, in humbling the kingdoms, including Israel, and that, again, they should surrender to him. But here now, he's predicting the overthrow and the, and, and the desolation of Babylon. So Jeremiah was balanced. He knew Babylon would have its end, but he knew the end was not before Jerusalem received its punishment. And then Jeremiah predicted that there would be a 70-year period of time, and then Israel would be able to go back. And so then he's predicting that there would be a time when Babylon would be destroyed. But the other prophets, the false prophets, were predicting, no, 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 don't worry, king, God is on our side, God is with us, God will bless us, and and, uh, we'll defeat Babylon. And we see now, looking back, Jeremiah was right in all his ways, confirming the word of God for us today. Verse 63, when you finished reading this book, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates, then say, thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. And so, again, a warning and a demonstration. So not just reading it, but demonstrate what I'm saying to you by taking it, tie it up, throw it in the Euphrates River and let this uh, uh, book sink there. And that's what's going to happen to Babylon. It's going to be overthrown and sink and not be seen again. So now let's go to verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up a destroying wind against Babylon. I will send winnowers to Babylon who shall winnow her and empty her land. For in the day of doom, they shall be against her all around. Okay, so we have again the prediction right from the beginning all the way to the end in this chapter that Babylon is going to be thrown into the uh, the river, winnowed, destroyed. Verse 3, Against her let the archers bend his bow and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her young men, utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and those thrust through in her streets. One of the arguments of the false prophets was that Jeremiah was conspiring with Babylon. Well, we see again, he wasn't conspiring with Babylon. He told the truth of what God showed him. Babylon was going to overtake Jerusalem, and yet eventually it would receive its fall as well according to its works and its ways. Verse 5, For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah by his God, the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. And so again, a very balanced message. Jeremiah is not ignoring the sins of Israel. He's actually, again, pointing them out and mentioning them again and and being the cause of what's going to happen, the overthrow of Jerusalem. But at the same time, Israel and Judah... Israel's already been taken and dispersed long before this. But Israel and Judah is not forsaken. God has not forgotten his people. Though they sinned, God is predicting a restoration will take place. And that's exactly what happened. God does bring back children of Israel and children of Judah back to the land 70 years after Jerusalem is destroyed just as predicted. And today, we are there again. It's a wonderful promise in God. Wonderful mercy of God. The redemption of God. Though their sin filled the land, a Redeemer will come. Forgiveness will be paid. Sacrifice will be made. Atonement will take place. And they will be restored because God has not forsaken them. And Israel's forsaking of the Lord was not complete, especially in comparison to Babylon. Verse 6, flee from the midst of Babylon and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance and he will recompense her. He's saying he's going to pay back Babylon. Babylon's going to receive its judgment eventually but flee from the midst of Babylon. So other chapters, Jeremiah says, surrender to Babylon, go to Babylon freely, become their servants, but here don't become part of Babylon. And and we're going to start seeing some words here in this chapter in particular that match up and parallel exactly what is mentioned in Revelation regarding Babylon. And one of the things in Revelation, it says, come out of Babylon, my people, And do not be partakers in her sins. And so here, this is like the very words that God repeating himself, he said it to Jeremiah, and then later on he says it to John to be recorded. Now, of course, in Jeremiah's day, he's talking to literal Babylon, and to John, he's talking about the spiritual confusion that would be in the world in these last days. And there was spiritual confusion in the literal Babylon as well. And so while we were told to dwell in Babylon and to get jobs and build houses and get married and have children and plant vineyards, but don't get too attached to the land because there's going to come a time when we need to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. Unfortunately, too many people stayed in Babylon and got comfortable there. And thus we then have the story of the book of Esther because we were still there. We shouldn't have been there by the time of Esther's time that's a whole other story. Verse 7, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. Again, just like out of Revelation, same type of terminology. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she shall be healed. Again, a lot of words used in Revelation as well. That Babylon, a golden cup in Babylon's hand, that she makes the nations drunk, that, she, um, that the, the nations are deranged as a result of her, and that Babylon will suddenly fall and be destroyed. And that's what it says in Revelation. Babylon has fallen, fallen, fallen. And then wail for her. And in Revelation we see that also. A great wailing takes place for the, the Babylon confusion, the, 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 the apostasy In the world in the last days. But perhaps she may be healed. So God's holding out some hope for Babylon as well. Perhaps Babylon will be healed as well. There is mercy enough for all. There is forgiveness enough at all. God loves Israel and he loves the Babylon as well. He loves all. He loves Jew and Gentile. He loves all the nations. He loves all the people. His gospel is for all nations and for all people. He doesn't want to forsake anyone. He doesn't want to reject anyone. The door is open for all. There is the ability for Babylon to be healed as well. Verse 9. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let, her, let us go everyone to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. So in verse 8, he's saying there's hope for Babylon. The blood of the Messiah is enough to redeem all. Yet he also says, but she's not going to take her up on it. Babylon's not going to take us up on it. Babylon is not going to be healed. Babylon will remain Babylon. And the only hope for us is to come out of Babylon and be not partakers of her sins. Babylon, ancient Babylon went down and spiritual Babylon will go down as well. Will be destroyed as well. And so don't get attached to the things of this world, the cravings of this world, consumerism of the world, the, the, the confusing doctrines of this world. Verse 10, The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. So we have this contrast going on between Babylon and Zion. And that's what Revelation does. That's what Revelation's all about, is this contrast between these two cities. The Babylon and the Zion of God, the New Jerusalem, is mentioned in, in, in Revelation. The earthly Jerusalem is not mentioned at all. The New Jerusalem is mentioned. So God's people and those that are against God in one way, shape, or form, or another. Even if they're professing to follow God, but holding on to the sins of this world, the selfishness and the greed and the carnal desires, The Lord has revealed our righteousness. That's what saves Zion. That's what saves God's people. That's what saves Israel. Is the Lord's righteousness is revealed to us. Jeremiah tells us in another chapter, the Lord is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own. We have sinned. We have filled the land with our sins. But the Lord, he is our righteousness. And that is what is revealed. It's revealed in the scriptures. And it became revealed in the flesh when the Messiah came and dwelt among us. And lived among us. And revealed himself to us. Revealed the glory of the Father. Revealed the glory of God to us. And he is what becomes our righteousness. We don't conjure up any righteousness of our own. We don't have any innate in us. There is nothing good in us that can be accredited. Any good that does come out of us is only because the God, God put it there and God did it through us. And God is able to do that through those who follow him as well as those who don't follow him. God spoke some wonderful prophecies from, from a false prophet, Balaam. Messianic prophecies. God's done marvelous things and wonderful things. He did marvelous and wonderful things through Babylon, through Nebuchadnezzar, and through Cyrus and others. So God is able to do good through us, even if we're not following him. But it's still all his righteousness. And in those who follow him, the good works that come through from us is all God's goodness. It's all his right doing. It's all his righteousness lived out through us. And so the Lord our God he is our righteousness. And he was revealed in, through Jeremiah. He was revealed through the, from the beginning of time. He was revealed through Daniel. And he wants to be revealed through us. He was revealed in the Messiah. And he wants to continue to live and demonstrate his righteousness through us. And then he invites us to do, Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Let us declare what God has done in us. Let us declare what God has done in the world. Let us go and spread it and proclaim it. Reviewing the word of God, reviewing the the history of God's miracles in our lives. That's why it's good for us to remember the miracles in the the holidays that proclaim his miracles in Purim and Hanukkah and so on. Revealing the work of God, but also personally in our own lives. The miracles he does in us on a daily basis. Changing us and growing us and forgiving us and transforming us. The works of God. Verse 11, the Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes. For his plan is against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord. The vengeance for his temple. Very interesting verse here. This is over 70 years before the Medes come and attack Babylon, and Jeremiah is predicting that it's going to be through the Medes that he brings down the destruction of Jer- Babylon. And that's exactly what happened. Could you just, see, Jeremiah, just could you see Daniel sitting in the courts with Cyrus? After Cyrus takes over Babylon, and destroys Babylon, and Daniel is made you know, high up, And him showing this to Cyrus and saying, look, Cyrus, God predicted in Jeremiah's days over 70 years, this scroll is old. I've had this scroll for over 70 years. And look, it's written here that the Medes, the Medes and the Persians, the Medes would overtake Babylon. And that's what happened. You see Cyrus just amazed by that. And Daniel goes, but there's more as Well, let me show you what it said in the book of Isaiah, which is even older, like 150 years old. It mentions you by name. That's God predicting. It also says that it will be for the vengeance for his temple. But when this was written, the temple wasn't destroyed yet. That's so why I read those last verses first, because it said it was in the fourth year of Zedekiah. In the fourth year of Zedekiah, the temple was still there. So God's predicting again that the temple is going to be destroyed. And yet Babylon will eventually be destroyed in vengeance for the temple. And it will be done by the Medes. Verse 15, He has made made the earth by his power, and he has established the world by his wisdom, and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. If you ask Jeremiah if he believed in the creation of the world as written in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, his answer would obviously be yes. So if we try and take those first verses of of Genesis and and, and span them out over millions of years or or change them in any way or say they were allegorical in any way, shape, or form, not only do we have to change chapter 1 and chapter 2, there are many passages throughout the Scriptures that have to be then brought into question. God made the earth by his power. He established it through his word. His word spoke and it was. He stretched out the heavens. He has made it all and he has planned it all. He is over it all. And thus God's power and God's dominion is big enough to cover our lives as well. Our personal struggles, our personal, personal difficulties, our God is in control of it all. He sees it all. He's all knowledge, He's all wisdom, He's all understanding. He sees the end from the beginning, He created the earth, put Adam and Eve here, knowing what was going to happen. He saw Babylon, saw Jerusalem, saw the Medes, saw Cyrus, knows it all. He knows you, he knows me, and he knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us. He has not forsaken us. He knows our sins. He's seen our sins, past and present and in the future. And he does not forsake us. And if we do not fully forsake him and totally turn our backs on him, there is redemption and mercy available to all. And he will cover us with the Messiah's sacrifice, and he will fill us with his righteousness and live out his life through us, proclaiming his good works to the world. Verse 16, when he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind out of his treasures. This is like the book of Job. Job who thought he, you know, knew more than God. Job trying to justify himself before his friends. Were you there when I built the thing? Were you there when I put the stars in the space? I made the lightning for the rain. I brought the wind out of my treasures. God is over it all. This is why we only need one God. We don't need a wind God and a lightning God and a rain God. (laughs) Just one God is all we need. He's done it all and he's over it all. And they are not God. Lightning is not God. God is God. And he controls it all. And he is over it all. And thus he can control our lives and take care of us. Verse 19, the portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So God established Israel as the tribe of his inheritance. But of course, that's not an exclusive tribe. From the very beginning of the founding of Israel, there's always been people added into the midst that becomes part of Israel. We have, well, right from the very beginning. We have Abraham and Sarah, and then we have Jacob and, or Isaac and Rebekah, and and Jacob and Israel. I remember Jacob and Rachel. And Leah. And Leah. And it's two concubines and the children that come from there. And they all married. And so women were brought in over and over again and brought into the fold. And we have Rahab and we have the Gibeonites. We have Ruth. And we have many others recorded in the scriptures coming in and becoming part of the Israel of God. The door has always been open. To the inheritance and the receiving of the inheritance and of course of those of Israel can refuse the inheritance as well like Esau and A- Achan and many others down through the ages too numerous to mention Moses's cousins and And on and on. I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. You shall be desolate forever. There's a reference to Babylon, this destroying mountain. Becomes desolate forever. Second time it mentions that. Prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes. So second time it mentions the Medes, confirming it. The Lord shall perform against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. Third time, God's predictions come true. One runner will run to meet another and one messenger to meet another to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken on all sides. The passages are blocked The weeds have been burned with fire and the men of war are terrified. So we can picture this with the description in the book of Daniel how the Babylonians were partying and how the the Medes and Persians came in. They dried up the Euphrates River. They marched through the riverbanks, the dry riverbed, marched into the city and taking over the city while well, the king and his people are partying and at that point then fearful because the handwriting was written on the wall above the menorah, and Daniel's brought in to read it, meaning meaning or farsi your 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 kingdom has been weighed in the balances and found wanting, and then one runner after another runs to meet, and the messenger after messenger coming into the ballroom there where Daniel is being uh, given the gold and silver and the rings that the king promised him after the reading of the, of the handwriting. One after another coming, the south wall has been taken, the, right, the, the, the north tower is now taken, the east is gone, the flanks, they're burning up the west. One after another running in and telling the king, and have all the army's terrified. <laughs> it all collapses all at once. God saw it before it even took place. And in various different books, gives us the details of exactly what would happen. The inhabitants of Zion will say, my blood be upon the inhabitants of the Chaldeans. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Well, the sea and the spring, or the water source of Babylon, was the Euphrates River. And as I just said, the Medes and Persians dried it up. And the spiritual Babylon at the end of time, its foundation, its source, will dry up as well. And God will bring his vengeance for us. We don't have to venge our enemies, we don't have to bring vengeance. We don't have to get angry. We don't have to get bitter. We don't have to get resentful against those who've hurt us. We can pray for them and plead for them that they would repent and receive forgiveness. And if they don't, vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. And that's what he did for Jerusalem. Babylon was destroyed. God brought vengeance upon them. He was good to Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar surrendered to him. Gave mercy to Nebuchadnezzar's son, but then when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson comes along, denies God, curses God, defiles the temple objects in rebellion against the Lord God, God brought him down. And while the people of this world and the kings of this world might have dominion over us at this time, God will bring his vengeance. God will raise us up. God will work his deliverance in his time. Sometimes he does it for us in the here and now. But he will eventually do it. And we will live. Verse 37, Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. And that's what we saw in that first picture. In their excitement, I will prepare their feasts. I will make them drunk that they may rejoice and sleep, or perpetual sleep and not awake, says the Lord. And that's, again, exactly what they were. They were in their excitement. They were prepared their feast. We're secure. Yes, uh, the Medes the Persians have the city surrounded. Yes, they've laid siege to us. But we're secure in our walls. We have this river coming through. We have the hanging gardens. We have enough fruit and enough vegetables to feed us as long as we need. Historians say they would even throw food at the, at the Persians and the Medes, taunting them. we got these fortified walls so wide we can ride two chariots on them, side by side. We're secure in here. We have everything I need. You guys are out in the desert, and they throw food at them. Prepare to feast in the midst of being laid siege. We read about the sieges that took place in Jerusalem. They weren't feasting. They weren't partying. They were eating donkey heads and babies and, and pigeon dung. But in Babylon, they were feasting, just as it says. I will make them drunk. They were drinking and partying out of the golden vessels from the temple. And yet they will sleep a perpetual sleep and will not awake from it. Verse 45, my people, go out of the midst of her. Come out of Babylon and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. So now today, too, we need to come out of the things of this world, spiritual confusions, the physical bondages, and be delivered in the Lord our God. As Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, so... At Babylon, the slain of all the earth shall fall. You who have escaped the sword, get away. Do not stand still. Remember the Lord afar off, and let Jerusalem come to your mind. So he's warning the people. Don't get so attached to Babylon that you, don't, that you get stuck there. Remember Jerusalem. Don't forget Jerusalem. Like David said, may my right hand, it's cunning, lose if I forget you, O Jerusalem. Keep our eyes on the goal. keep our eyes on heaven, keep our eyes on Zion, keep our eyes on the Lord. And not on the things of this world, not on the troubles of this world, not on the glories and the glitzes of this world, not on the money of this world, but keep our eyes on the goal. Escape, those that have escaped from the sword, Stay not in Babylon. Remember the Lord and draw close to him. I will make drunk her princes and wise men, her governors, her deputies, and her mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So twice he says, they're going to sleep a perpetual sleep and they will not awake. Again, confirming it. They will be destroyed. Forgiveness was offered. Mercy was offered. But they rejected it. They will not repent. And that judgment will take place. Vengeance will take place. So this chapter, like so many chapters in the Bible, like from the very beginning, Cain and Abel, gives us the two options presents the two options for us. Babylon, the cities of this world, the things of this world, and Zion, and the people of God, and the Lord our God, and his righteousness. And so the choice is ours. Whom do we want to follow? Whom do we want to be associated with? Who do we want to attach ourselves with? So as we prepare to pray, if you've been inspired by the predictions in the Word of God that we see historically now have come to pass exactly as Jeremiah predicted, if you want to stand in awe as Cyrus did in a moment when we pray, just thank the Lord for His glory and His goodness and a confirmation of His Word is true and His Word is accurate. And secondly, if you want to claim that accuracy and those promises of God in your own life, if you're going through some struggle, if you're going through some difficulty, if you have some fears and some doubts and some concerns and some worries, you want to grab a hold of the Lord, claim his promises, claim his strength of his word, and just as it was fulfilled, God did not forsake the nation of Israel, he brought us back to the land, God has a restoration for us as well. God has a promise and a hope for us as well. God has a plan for us individually and personally. If you want to lay a hold of that plan and ask God to fulfill it in your life, in a moment when we pray, you can ask him to do that. Thirdly, if you've been sensing that Babylon has crept into your heart, that you feel attached to the things of this world, and has sometimes more of a hold on you than than the word of God, and the promise of heaven. And sometimes you neglect spending time with the Lord and doing the Lord's bidding, doing the Lord's work because of some obligation to this world. And you want to surrender that. And when we pray, you can give that over to the Lord. Confess it to him. Receive his forgiveness. Let him break that hold over that area any addiction, any habit, any sin in your life. Surrender that to the Lord and receive his righteousness. And fourthly, if you've been trying to follow God in your own righteousness, if you're having a hard time following God, if doing the things of God is burdensome, If doing the law of God and the ways of God is is drudgery to you, it's not a joyful experience, it's not a happy experience, if you don't love his law, if you don't love his ways, then it just demonstrates that you're trying to follow God in your own righteousness and in not his, in your own strength, by your own power. And so when we pray in another moment, you'll be able to surrender that to God and let him fill you and let him reveal through you his righteousness. And when it's God's righteousness living in us, it just flows, becomes a joy, becomes a privilege, becomes something we look forward to and something we rejoice in. And so if that applies to you, when we pray, Let God work in that area of your life. So if any of those areas apply to you, or maybe something else God has been speaking to you about, let us pray and let God fulfill his work in us right now. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name for your word. We're thankful, Lord, you have been there from beginning, and will be there to the end that you know all things, you see all things with your wisdom and your understanding. Thank you for warning Babylon and the people in Babylon, both those, the Israel captive, and those, the natives of Babylon, giving them an opportunity to turn to you. Thank you for giving us an opportunity again here and now. Thank you that your mercy endures forever. Thank you that you haven't forsaken us and that you haven't forgotten us. Work your will in our lives. Set us free of the Babylon of this world. Set us free of the attachments. May we serve you and proclaim your miracles and your power and your might and your righteousness to all those around us, both with word and with deed and with actions and with our lives. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.